Good morning, everybody. I hope you can hear me. It is uh, great to be worshipping with you uh, this, this morning. I uh, enjoyed seeing some of the familiar faces on the screen and long to be with you. I love your church. I love your pastor. And again, it's, uh, it's been a real joy getting to know you all over the, over the past uh, couple of years. This morning, we're going to be looking at some verses in Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 22. So if you would turn in your Bibles, please, to Deuteronomy chapter 18. I'm going to start reading at verse 15. We're going to look at five promises about the prophet in Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 22. Verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let not me hear, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Please join me in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, your perfect, inerrant word, Lord. Um, we thank you that we know you through your word. We would have no way of knowing about you in the way we do other than through uh, your word. Lord, we pray that uh, the word will speak to us today during these times and that we may uh, see you more clearly. Please help me to be clear, Lord. Please help your word to come through me. And please use it for your glory so that people may believe and that your saints may be edified and matured through it. We thank you, Lord. We love you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Times of, times of transition can be times of trepidation. We see that at the moment where we're transitioning from a period of lockdown and we're starting to assimilate back into society and often times of transition can be times of fear and trepidation. We're looking today at a passage in scripture that describes a very important point of transition in the history of Israel. It comes to us in the book of Deuteronomy, the book that literally means uh, Deutero second nomos law. It is a second giving of the law, a recapitulation of the law. And it all happens during the last 30 days of Moses's life. 
So Moses, the man of God, the great leader of Israel, is leaving. Let's recap some of the wonderful signs and miracles that God had done through Moses. He had uh, used Moses to free them from physical, physical slavery in Egypt. He had led them out of that slavery and saved them uh, from Pharaoh. He had led them across the Red Sea through miraculous activity of God through Moses and led them to the verge of the promised land. They had seen God work mightily through Moses, their leader, Moses, the man of God. And now he's leaving. You can imagine that's a time of great fear and trepidation. I mean, who was going to guide them when they were going to enter into the promised land? There were physical threats. They had previously, 40 years earlier, uh, reneged on their command to go into the promised land because they were afraid of the people who were inhabiting the land there. They did not have the requisite faith to enter the promised land. And now they were going to have to face these physical threats of the people who were inhabiting the promised land. So who was going to lead them through these physical threats? Um, there were also spiritual threats there as well. The verses prior to our verse talk about some of these uh, spiritual threats that would face them. It says, uh, they shall, when you come into the land that the Lord your God has given you, Deuteronomy 18, 9, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. Uh, there shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. This was going on in the land there. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. This was a pagan country and as often happens in pagan countries, there were all sorts of practices of the occult and, and demonic that the Lord says, no, you shall not have anything to do with these things. You shall follow me, the one true God. So there were physical threats and there were spiritual threats as they Entered. And it is into this environment that God speaks these words of comfort. When we read them today, we have to think back to how they were feeling about to enter. Moses, you're going. Who is going to guide us? And it's into that background that God uh, speaks these words. Before we look at some of the five promises that God gives about this prophet mentioned, um, I'd like to look at who is in view here. Do we have in this verse a, uh, a general right line of prophets in mind? Or do we have a single prophet in mind? Is, uh, is it a general line of prophecy that, and the prophets that would represent that? Or is it a single prophet? Well, for the first um, case, for, for it representing a general line of prophets, you have the immediate context in favor of that view there would be existing in the land these these demonic practices of false religion. So the assumption is that during this time, there would be a uh, true representative to help and guide uh, the people. And I think that's, that is true. Um, you, you also have, um, you, you also have here some characteristics mentioned of the prophets that are also true that they, uh, would correctly predict the future. So it seems here that you can say that there are some characteristics of a general line of prophets um, here. I, th I think the answer is to who's in view, is it a general line or a prophet, is, is really both and. However, I would say the focus of this passage is really the sending of a prophet. 
that beyond the, the line of prophets that God would send, that is also described in other passages of Scripture. Deuteronomy 13 also talks about uh, the, 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 the line of prophets and the, against uh, the false prophets, how they would understand and separate them. But here I think this is talking predominantly about a prophet. And I think that for the following reasons. The first reason is that you have the word used in the singular. I will raise up for you a prophet. The prophet word there is, is in the singular. So there seems to be a prophet in mind here. The next reason I would give is that this prophet is going to be like Moses. I will raise up a prophet um, for you that's going to be like me, says Moses. There's going to be something unique about this prophet. Moses was different to the other prophets. Um, this was known prior to Deuteronomy 18, in, and it's seen in Scripture. Let me give you an example in Numbers 12 that talks about Moses being different to the other line of prophets that God would send to help and guide his country. Numbers 12, 6 to 8. He said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I will speak to him in a dream. This was the predominant way that God made his will known to the prophets uh, in, the, in the Old Testament and indeed in the New Testament that he would reveal his will through visions and dreams. But Numbers 12, 7 says, Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly, not in dark sayings. And he below beholds the form of the Lord. So there's going to be an intimate knowledge uh, and a relationship between Moses and God that wasn't going to be as intimate in its replication with some of the other prophets. At the end of Deuteronomy, it also says that uh, there has not arisen a prophet um, uh, like Moses among your brothers because I knew him face to face, talking about uh, that intimate relationship that Moses had. The next reason why I think this is also predominantly referring to a prophet is that this is what was expected. This was the expectation of the people in the Bible. At the closure of the Old Testament, at the end of the book of Malachi, there was a 400, year, 400 years of prophetic silence. And people were still clinging to this verse, expecting the coming of this special prophet like Moses. John the Baptist in John 1.21, they asked him, what then, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. They thought that John may be the prophet. John says, no, of course, he was the forerunner, the one who would point to Christ. Indeed, uh, the greatest um, of the prophets up until that time, he is called. You know, even the Samaritans had uh, an expectation. Uh, Samaritan sect, they uh, only followed the first five books of uh, the Bible and Yet, so therefore, Deuteronomy that would have been one of the texts that they had, and they were expecting someone called the the Tahab or the Tahav, someone who will arrive and the dead will be resurrected. And indeed, the woman at the well, if you recall, in John four nineteen, when Jesus reveals to her uh, that uh, some details of her life that would not have been otherwise known had he not been a prophet, she says to him, "Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet." Now, that grammatically, that can be used as the prophet. So there is some, it's, it's inconclusive, but there is some evidence 
uh, that could say that she says, hang on, are you the prophet that we read about in Deuteronomy um, 18? And the last reason why I say that this is referring predominantly to um, the prophet is in Acts 3, uh, Peter says the following, Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. So there you have Peter making the illusion to say this is the, the prophet. The prophet uh, that was predicted is Christ. So indeed, this is talking about the prophet, and Peter confirms this is talking about the Messiah. So we are talking about a messianic text in the Old Testament here that is pointing forward to the prophetic office of Christ. Christ calls himself a prophet, as we'll come to later. Indeed, this is the only text that points forward to the prophetic office of Christ. So it's a very important text. It was recognized as important by the people of Israel, and it is indeed very important, pointing to the ministry of the Messiah. So there are some implications for the broad line of prophecy here that God would send. However, in view is a particular prophet. Let's look now and having set the scene about what's going on on the verge of the promised land, a time of transition, he gives them this prophet about a this promise about a particular prophet that he's going to send. Let's look at five promises about this prophet that he was going to send for the people of Israel to comfort the people of Israel. Five promises about the prophet. The first one I'm going to look at is he will be a prophet like Moses. First of all, what is a prophet? Well, a prophet is a spokesperson for God. One of the best examples about defining what a prophet is comes to us in Exodus 4.15. Exodus 4.15. In that example, Moses um, gets given his commission to go and speak to the people of Israel, to speak to Pharaoh. And Moses says, almost, are you sure you've got the right guy, Lord? I don't speak well um and he talks back to the the lord and really uh, complains let me read to you um what he uh, says to moses in 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 exodus 4 uh, 15 um you were to speak to him that and and just going back he then says well okay i will give you aaron the lord was ang angry but he said i will give you your brother aaron to speak hence moses and aaron went together to speak to Pharaoh. And then God says to Moses, um, you are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And you, Moses, are going to speak to him, Aaron, and put the words in his mouth. And I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth. And I will teach you what you are to do. Moreover, he shall speak for you to the people, and he will be as a mouth for you, and you will be as a God to him. So the Lord was going to give Moses the words. Moses was going to give them to Aaron, and Aaron was going to be the ones to speak them to Pharaoh and to the people of Israel. Later on in Exodus 7, um, you, you read, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. So 
the Lord was going to speak to Moses. Moses was going to speak to Aaron. Aaron was going to speak to Pharaoh. But in Pharaoh's eyes, he would say Moses was going to be like a God and Aaron was going to be like his prophet. So there you see it's the words are going to Moses to Pharaoh. He sees Pharaoh sees um, Moses giving the words to Aaron. So in Pharaoh's eyes, Moses is like God. And that's what a prophet is. It is a mouthpiece for God. It is a spokesperson for God. A couple of other characteristics about um, prophets in the Bible. They are Because they are speaking God's words, they are going to be 100% accurate all of the time. We see that later in our, our verse. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if that word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. They're going to be 100% accurate all of the time. And they were not going to be like the prophets of other religions either. The other religions uh, that were going to be replete in the land that they were going to be going to also had prophets, but of course they would not be 100% accurate all of the time. And they also got engaged in all sorts of crazy activity. Think of the situation in First Kings where Elijah is faced with the prophets of Baal and they're doing all their dances and their, their crazy activity and Elijah looks on them and eventually he's the one who um, correctly speaks on behalf of God, but they don't get anything back. So, First Kings eighteen twenty-eight. So they cried with a loud voice and cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was passed, they raved until the time of the offering and of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice; no one answered, and no one paid attention. They're not prophesying on behalf of the one true God. And the last thing about a prophet, as I mentioned earlier, is that Jesus was a prophet. Uh, this was recognized by the people during his time, John 6, 14. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, truly, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. The people in the Old Testament, in, in Jesus's early ministry, started to draw parallels between him and the prophet in Deuteronomy. And similarly, Jesus refers to himself as a prophet when he says in Luke 13, 33, nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. You see, so Jesus describes himself as a prophet, and then we have the messianic fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18 in the life of Christ. This is very important because they would have been looking for the ways in which the Jesus did not match up to the descriptions of the Messiah in the Old Testament. Here again, we have Jesus fulfilling uh, the Old Testament prophecies about him. God says, expect a prophet like me, like Moses. Jesus was a prophet. But what about this like Moses? Let's turn to that the, uh, next. He will be a prophet like Moses. Well, the word like, obviously, connotes not an identical likeness. Think when someone says, well, he's exactly like his father. They're not talking there about an exact likeness or an exact imprint. What they are talking about is that there are many similarities, and as is the case between Jesus and Moses, some startling similarities evidenced in the scriptures between these two. Um, let's look now at some of the evidence um, of the similarities between Jesus and Moses. Like I said, there are many, and I'm really handpicking a few. But the first one is the use of signs and wonders. The use of signs and wonders 
People saw that in Jesus's time. Uh, in Luke 24, um, they said to him, uh, they would talk about Jesus. They described Jesus as the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word in the sight of God and all the people. They see mighty in word and deed. In John 6, 14, again, therefore they said, truly this is the prophet who came into the world when they saw the sign which he performed. And in Acts 22, 22, uh, Peter says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. Signs and wonders were given to representatives in the Old Testament and in the New Testament uh, to people who were the authorized representatives of God. They were used to attest, as Acts 22 says, that these people were sent from God. And when you look at the signs and wonders across the whole of the Bible, it's quite remarkable. In the Old Testament, they are here and there, few and far between. Take healing, for example. There were 11 instances of healing in the Old Testament, not many at all. Look after the ministry of Christ, and again, there are, there are signs and wonders, just not as many. But in God's redemptive plan in the history of the world, you see three years, this period of Christ's ministry, where these signs and wonders were replete. John says in his gospel, if I were to write them down, I wouldn't know, know all the books in the world would be able to contain them. So many activity because they were appointed to this man, this Messiah, this prophet. So God uses signs and wonders and miracles to attest to his representatives. And he did that with Moses, of course. Moses uh, used signs and wonders miraculously. He sent the plagues uh, on Pharaoh in Egypt. He split the Red Sea. He made water come out of rock. He, he, he requested that the Lord send bread from heaven. Many, many signs and wonders, but not as many as our Lord, not as many as Christ. So signs and wonders are similarities between Christ and uh, Moses, and uh, one way in which he was like him. Also is the intimate relationship with God. As I said earlier, Moses had an intimate face-to-face -face relationship with God. Similarly, John 6.46 says, not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. So you have um, a similarity with the intimate relationship with God as well. The next similarity, I, I want to just draw out some of the, the main ones or what I would say are some of the major similarities. And that is over the quality of humility or being humble. Numbers 12.3 says this, now the man Moses was very humble more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Moses was more humble than anybody in the earth, and yet the Lord chose him to work so mightily through. Similarly, you look at the humility of Christ described in Philippians 2, 6 to 8. Christ, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ emptied himself, it says. What does that mean? Well, he in no way ever ceased to be God. What he, how Christ emptied himself was through taking on the form 
of a, the lowly form of a man to accomplish the work of saving people and taking their sins onto him as a man. Man sinned, a man had to take the sins. Christ humbled himself. He, what is worthy and what is due to him is all glory, all praise, the creator of the, of, of the world. And yet he humbled himself and took the form of a man. That is the greatest act of humility that has ever happened before and ever will happen again. So there's this quality of humility that was in Moses and this quality of, of humble who was meek and kind during his time of the, of, on earth, even though he's God and all glory is due to him. So they were both humble. Let me just ask you this. Well, let me just tell you this. If you're not humble, you don't know God well. If you're not humble, you don't know God well. First Corinthians 4, 7 says, what do you have that you haven't received? Well, the answer Paul is expecting there is nothing. There is nothing you have, whether it be skills, abilities, wealth, or prestige, or whatever it is uh, that you have has been given to you, have, that you have received it. The right attitude is to understand that God is the one who gives everything. So therefore, the Christian is always going to be humble, knowing that everything is received. Greatest of all, the forgiveness of sins is from God. And the last one of a highlight, of course, is that Moses physically delivered his people from slavery. Spiritually, Christ delivers his people from the slavery of sin. Prior to salvation, everyone is a slave to sin, bound to do the works that it demands, the evil works. And it's a hard master. There's no peace there. It will keep you up. It'll keep you active. It, it, it's, it's unrelenting. Christ can save you from that. Much like physically, uh, physically Moses saved the Israelite people from the hard demands of Pharaoh's taskmasters and brought them under a good master. That's what Christ does to us. So they were deliverers. Christ ultimately who delivers from sin so that we are able to live and be reconciled back to God. But Moses physically also. A few notable mentions as well. Uh, they both fasted in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, Moses split the Red Sea. Christ walked on water. Um, Christ fed the 5,000. Moses sent manna from heaven. Um, Moses judged the people. Christ will judge all people. So I have just given but a few of many examples of the ways in which the prophet mentioned here is referring to the Messiah and he was going to be like Moses. It's just fascinating the care and attention with which Christ and God works out the plan so that in the scriptures we can see these things for the purpose that we may believe that he is the prophet. He is the one who is going to be sent into the world so that through him, not only the whole world may be blessed. Well, then comes the question, like Moses, are we talking about superior or inferior? For example, in Genesis, uh, in, in, in Genesis 3, we read that uh, 3, 5, this word is used and it, uh, where um, the devil says, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So there's uh, in the garden, the temptation was that you will be like God. Same word here. But of course, um, we were not going to be 
equal to God or superior to God, but there was going to be like God, but not in a good way. In the garden, we could see that through eating the fruit, mankind would know good and evil. But you see, it was like God. Like God, we would know good and evil, but not in the same way. God knows evil objectively. In the garden, man would become evil. Not like God in a good way, much more inferior and much more in a terrible way. We would know it subjectively. So what are we talking about here when this word is used? So like Moses, is he uh, superior or is he um, inferior? Well, Hebrews answers that for us. Uh, Hebrews says that uh, he was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. This is going to be like Moses, but far superior to Moses, um, in that Christ would be a greater Moses to deliver his people. It's also interesting to note that people were drawing these conclusions of people were drawing up these links between the prophet and Jesus's work during uh, Jesus's day. There were great lengths taken by the Pharisees to accuse Jesus of going against Moses. And uh, Jesus has to correct them. He says, do not think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And when one of Jesus's followers in Act 6, Stephen, gets stoned, they, one of the accusations they put up against him is, this man incessantly speaks out against this holy place and the law. They were accusing Jesus of the sin. They wanted to separate. The Pharisees didn't like the fact that, that people were drawing these conclusions. This is the prophet. This is the promised one. And they were trying to drive a wedge between, uh, between the two. You see, Jesus reminds them in John 5, 46, um, that Moses was talking about him. Think about the transfiguration as well. Moses is there, but he is to the side of Jesus. So there was efforts made by uh, people during that day to not link these two, because people were made, people were seeing Point number one, that he is a prophet like Moses. Moving through the text um, into verse, uh, the second part of verse uh, 15 here. The Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Let's look at this term, from your brothers. Well, the other promise made about the prophet in Deuteronomy 18, prophet, um, promise number two is that he will be an Israelite. He will be an Israelite from your brothers. Why is this? Well, I think there would be temptation to follow other kings, the deliverers or other quote-unquote prophets. But God is very specific. He will come from, he will be one of your brothers. God had made this demand for them in Deuteronomy 17 also. Deuteronomy 17, where God's 15, where God says, You shall so surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your countrymen. You shall set as a king over yourselves. That's why the, the Jewish people during times of occupation were such hard work, because they realized they didn't want a Roman occupier over them. They wanted a one of their brothers to be over them. And now we see that transferred to this prophet is also going to be one of your brothers. He, he's going to come through the line of promise. Abraham Isaac and Jacob. That is who God is going to send this prophet through. And he makes that clear. 
Muslims believe this prophecy is fulfilled by Muhammad. However, as we know, Muhammad's not in the line of promise. You, you may hear it said that there's, you know, these great Abrahamic faiths of uh, you have, you know, Islam or Judaism and Christianity. What is what people neglect to remember is that over and over again, God says that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Muslims can't draw that line to identify this prophet uh, to be Muhammad because, of course, they trace their heritage back to Ishmael. And that's not in the line of promise. Yet God says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the line through whom this, pro this uh, prophet is coming. Just a side note, it's interesting to see how in many stories of the Bible, you see other cultures assimilating the truths that we are reading here in God's word. You see, for example, flood narratives in so many civilizations throughout the world. The American Indians in this country um, had a uh, flood narrative because it was true, it happened, and yet it gets changed and obfuscated as you separate it from the scriptures. Similarly, you see that the, the Muslims are tying this prophet in Deuteronomy and claiming ownership of it. I did come across something interesting uh, recently. I'm, I'm Welsh, and the Welsh people have a prophetic son as well. He's called Imab de Rogan, uh, who is called the son of of prophecy in, in Wales who's gonna come on. And I think presumably um, the first reference is in the 10th century, but it probably had references before then. And uh, he's gonna probably release the Welsh from English captivity of, of some sorts. And, and I bet you, if you looked at other civilizations, you see the pure word of God taken in different directions and people taking ownership of it like they did, like they did with a flood. But here uh, we have the promise from God's pure word, that they will be an Israelite. Well, was this fulfilled? We've, we've seen that the prophet like Moses was fulfilled. Promise number one was fulfilled in Jesus. Is this fulfilled in Jesus? Well, of course, Jesus is the true Israel. There are great efforts taken in the book of Matthew, for example, to look at the genealogy of Christ to show this is the one. He is an Israelite, true Israel, um, uh, and, and his heritage is undisputed. So again, we see the second promise fulfilled in Christ. He'll be a prophet like Moses and he will be an Israelite. Let's look now at the third promise about this prophet given in the text. Let's read verses 16 to 17. Just as you desired of the Lord your God on, at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And, I, and it, it goes on. But verses 16 and 17 says that this prophet is going to be uh, like the prophet that you, just like you demanded at Horeb. Let's explore this. Horeb is synonymous with Sinai. So Mount Sinai. What happened at Mount Sinai? Well, God gave the law to Moses. So he says, I'm going to give you a mediator, someone who's going to talk with me on your behalf, just like you asked for at Sinai, at Horeb. 
some think that one half of the mountain is called Sinai. Others think the other half is half of, the, of this particular mountain is called Horeb. It, it's unclear, but it's, it is referring to the same place. Let's look at what happened at Horeb. I pick it up in Exodus 21 uh, verses 18 when at the giving of the law. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. They had a glimpse and they said, Rightly so, we don't want to deal with that. We're going to die. If we're in the presence of God, we will die. They had these mighty signs shown to them, witness to them. They said, no, Moses, you go. You go and mediate between man and God to give us this law. So Moses goes and he acts as a mediator between God and the Israelites. In the same way, Christ is the mediator between us and God. I think of Hebrews 10, 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Man without a mediator going before a holy and pure God has no chance, has no chance whatsoever. Man needs a mediator to go before them, just like Christ does for us. If you go before God in your sin without having Christ as a mediator for you who has dealt with your sin and you have taken his righteousness just like he took your sin and put it upon himself, if that transaction has gone on in your life, you are able to stand before God and not perish. But if you haven't, you will perish, much like the people in Israel says and God affirms. They would die. They would have physically died. You will spiritually die and be cast away forever and ever if you do not have a mediator. When you stand before God, if you are in your sin and you haven't repented of your sin and had faith in Christ, don't bring your works. Your works have nothing to do with this. Your works are like filthy rags. They will not be accepted. Don't think even going to church, doing good things. There is nothing but faith alone in Christ that can save you on that day. And he calls you to that. He says, repent of your sins and believe in Christ. Know that you are a sinner in need of a savior and believe in this prophet, in this Messiah that I am sending. He is the only way that you will be able to be saved from your sin. There are haunting words at the end of the book of Isaiah that talks about the fate of those who stand before God on that day, which all men will. You know, men suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's what happens. Romans 1. I can tell you exactly what's going on in every person. You're either repenting and believing in Christ or you're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. You're covering up your guilt because you know you're guilty. You're covering up your guilt and you're suppressing it in unrighteousness, and you're laying it down, you're not facing your sin, and, and I hate to tell you, and it's with great fear that I tell you that this is your fate, unless you have put your faith in Christ. 
And they shall go out, Isaiah 66, right at the end of the book, and they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worms shall not die, their, bo their bodies shall not die, and their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Hell goes on forever, ever and ever, with bodies fitted for it. It's a frightful thing. I'm telling you the truth this morning so that you may know it. And if you have not put your faith in Christ, if he is not going to mediate for you on the day that you appear before holy God, and if you are in your sin on that day, you will be cast away forever and ever as a rebellious, as someone who God who made for his glory, who rebelled against him, and you will face the punishment for that sin. You need a mediator. That mediator is Jesus Christ. First Timothy 2.5. There is one God, one mediator, also between God and man, this man, Christ Jesus. But if you have, how glorious that you are no longer under the condemnation of sin, but you have peace with God and you can stand because he did the work for you and you can be reconciled to him with your new bodies that'll last forever and you will live forever with him. So you need this mediator. They needed the mediator, Moses. You need the, the mediator of the man, uh, Jesus Christ. So the answer is, is this fulfilled? Is this promise about the prophet fulfilled in Jesus? Gloriously, I say to you, it is. He is our mediator, the one who can make us stand before a holy God to put us right so that we can live forever with him. The next promise. Let's look at uh, verses uh, eight, uh, 18 to 20. He will possess God's own words. I will raise up for a prophet them I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him and whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name I myself will require it of him but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods that same prophet shall die this idea of presuming to speak for God has an idea, uh, uh, the, the verbal root in the Hebrew can also be used for bubbling up or boiling up. It's as if these words have an origin within the man himself, and they're going to speak things that people want to hear. Not so with this prophet, and not so with true prophets. They speak words that are given to them by God. Let me give you an example of these false prophets who are bubbling up, who are presuming to speak um, on behalf of God. Um, Isaiah says about them, um, uh, Isaiah, uh, people were saying to these true prophets, uh, you know, you must not see visions. And to the prophets, they were saying, you must not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us pleasant words, prophecy, illusions. Then the Lord's, and uh, Jeremiah also, the, Lord, the prophets are prophesying falsehood in my name. I have neither sent them nor commanded them, nor spoken to them. They are prophesying to you false visions. Um, so there were people bubbling up or coming up with prophecy of their own. And God says, do not listen to them. My prophets will speak to me. And this prophet in mind in Deuteronomy 18 is going to speak to them the words um, that, that I have. You know, this is similar to, I just think of uh, false teachers uh, today. False teachers today and are accused in the New Testament of tickling the ears of people. They'll tell people who uh, that they're okay. They don't have need of a mediator. They're fine in their... Uh, in their current state. The Bible says no such thing. They are false uh, teachers. And you think of the, the equivalent, the, the prophetic, um, I'm not making an analogy there to say we are prophets today. The prophetic office has ended, as Hebrew says, in the final days, 
In the past, he spoke by the prophets. Today, he has spoken by his son. We have the revelation of his son. So no prophets today, but teachers who cannot boil up or speak presumptuously if they don't base their message on God's word. Um, this was predicted of the Messiah in, in Isaiah 51. He says, I have put my words in your mouth, a messianic text. I will put my words in his mouth. And it was also, as we asked the question, was this fulfilled in Jesus? Will he possess God's own words? John 8, 28 says, when you lift up the sun, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. In John 12, he says, I speak the words that the Father has given to me. So the fourth promise uh, of the prophet um, is that he will possess God's own words, fulfilled also in Christ. And the final uh, promise is in verse 20 to 21. And if you say in your heart, how may we know that the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So the final promise that's going to identify this prophet is that he will correctly predict the future. And this was a hallmark of all prophets in the Old Testament and the prophets that were given prior to the closure of the canon, um, along with the apostles in the New Testament, is that they correctly predicted the future. Moses did this. He predicted in Deuteronomy 4 uh, that Israel would eventually be scattered. Deuteronomy 4.27, the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord drives you. So Moses correctly predicted the future. Other prophets, the line of prophets also predicted the future. Uh, Isaiah predicted the return of the Jews under Cyrus 150 years before the event. He predicted uh, Cyrus by name. Again, 100% accurate. If they get one thing wrong, they were to be put to death. They were false. But God was going to attest to his true prophets by being 100% correct at all of the time. And the last, uh, and also, you know, was this, can this be said about the Messiah? Well, of course, he predicted his predictions all came true and will come true as well. So we can say that this promise is fulfilled gloriously in Christ also. Just on Christ's predictions of the future, he could predict events in the immediate future. He predicted Peter's denial. Remember that? He said, you will deny me three times. Peter did. He could also uh, predict events in the near future. He predicted the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in AD 70. That came to pass after his ministry in Mark 13. And he can also predict events in the far of his return. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Jesus predicts his own coming back. So we've looked then at five promises about the prophet that were fulfilled and will be fulfilled in, in Christ. Some observations to, to close. The first observation is notice God's care. Give me a second, just on some technical. Excuse me one second. I just want to confirm I'm still on. Is it still on the screen? Yeah, frozen. Frozen. 
So I'm now going to just conclude with some observations from the text. Um, it seems like I'm frozen. I will hold on. In the wilderness, God sends the promise. And of course, let's not forget that in John 14, just as when Christ is leaving and the disciples were very nervous about life without Christ, he then sends them the promise that he will send the comforter. He will send the comforter to them. So for observation number one, God cares. And it's not required upon man's obedience. He is a caring God. And Christ dies for us indeed while we are still sinners. And he gives us the promise of the Holy Spirit. The second observation is that such detail is taken here to recognize the Messiah. Such detail and care to show that God is saying, this is the one. This is my son. This is the Messiah. And this, the examples we've seen today just go into some of those details about the care that God has taken so that we may make no mistake whatsoever and we have everything we need to believe. Yet the third point I'm going to make is that our obligation and our command is to believe. What were they meant to do? Let me remind you. Listen to him. The word listen combines the sense. I think I was I left at the final command, which is what is it required of us? And I'll say it briefly so we can get on with the service. And that is to listen to him. Uh, just like the people of Israel were commanded to listen to him. We have his completed word and we must listen and obey him. God is caring, but our responsibility is, is to believe and to repent of our sins, to believe on him and then to obey this wonderful God that's been uh, and his son who's revealed to us in the scriptures. Amen.